Morning again, and uh, I'm going to invite you guys right now, if you would, just take out your Bibles, um, and guys, we can turn the hazers down just a little bit, it's a little foggy up here, and uh, open up to Matthew chapter 23, it's where we're going to kind of spend most of our time this morning, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out, if not, it will be up on the screen, or again, you can check it out on the Source Church app, we've got uh, the Bibles in there as well, but this morning, we are in the fourth week of our series, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series, and it's called From Here to There. And uh, as I was getting ready for this, I, I read this story of a rather uh, pompous deacon who was teaching a Sunday school class of middle school boys. And uh, he was talking to these guys in, in this class about the importance of living the Christian life. And he asked the young men a question. And he said to the guys, he said, listen, boys, why do people call me a Christian? And the boys just kind of lowered their heads a little bit and, and thought about it for just a moment. One of the boys just kind of raised his hand and, and he called on him and he just he sheepishly answered and said, well, it's because evidently they don't know you, right? I tell you, I've, I've heard it once, I've heard it a, a thousand times. You know, when I'm talking to unchurched people, you know, about being a Christian or talking to people about Jesus or talking to people about coming to church, this statement, and that statement is this, and it's that Christians are nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites, And usually when I'm in a conversation with somebody uh, and they tell me that, I will, to their surprise, agree with them. And then I'll surprise them a little bit more by telling them, you know what, I'm I'm a hypocrite as well. I mean, there have been times in my life when I have been a hypocrite. I mean, how often have I preached one thing and yet done another or said one thing and done another? I mean, that's the definition of a hypocrite, right? And if it is, then I would say I'm guilty. And I would say this morning that you are as well. Right? We're all guilty of hypocrisy at times. I mean, we can all be selfish. We can all be judgmental. We can all be you know, grudge holders. We can all be prideful. We can all be arrogant. At times, we can have secret sins that we don't want anyone else to know about. In other words, we don't always practice what we preach. Mark Twain once said that you know, we're all like the moon. We have a dark side that we don't want anyone to see. And this morning in our series here to there, we're on day four. We've been going through the last week of Jesus' life. And we're on day four, so it's Wednesday. And Jesus, at this point in time, he's speaking to his disciples in a large large crowd that is kind of gathered there to hear him. And Jesus, at this moment, decides to take on, you know, one of the, the, the biggest hypocrites of the day. He takes on the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, why did Jesus have such a problem with the religious leaders of the day? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, it says this, follow along. It says, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, sit in Moses' seat. So these guys, right, the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean, they were the the teachers and the interpreters at that day of the Old Testament Jewish law. And Jesus says that they sat in Moses' seat. So in other words, they were the judge. They were the jury. They were the the court of appeals on whether or not someone lived up to the standards of the law. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says about them. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Jesus says, So practice and observe everything they tell you, but but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. He says, They tie up heavy, burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. All their deeds are done for men to see. They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the places of honor at banquets, the chief seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplace, and the title of rabbi by which they are addressed. 
But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now when you read that passage there, right, I think it's pretty plain to see that Jesus had problems with these men, right? But what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to break down and talk through what exactly Jesus just said, because I think it's important that we know what Jesus just said to them. First of all, he tells them, he says, you know, these guys do one thing, but then, or say one thing, but then they do another. And so he lays it out very clearly. Jesus says, listen, they don't practice what they preach. These guys were posers, right? They spoke as if they lived out the law. They acted as if they lived out the law. They certainly looked the part, but he says they were just pretenders. The second thing is that they were imposing things on people that they themselves were not willing to do. I mean, these guys held the Jewish people to the law in in the very strictest of ways, right? They held on to the 613 laws and they they held them over people's heads. And Jesus says, you know what? This laid a, a very heavy burden on the people's shoulders, but these guys, although they held everyone to these standards, they lived a completely different standard for themselves. I mean, they were the, you know, the, the, the hypocrites in the greatest sense of the word. Now, I want you... To remember for just a moment, it's just kind of a side note here, what was going on in Jerusalem at this time? I mean, the Jewish people were not only under Jewish law, right? They weren't only being held under Jewish law by these men, the scribes and the Pharisees, but they were also under Roman law. And so they had to live by Roman law. They, you know, the Romans were oppressive, plus they, they taxed the Jews very heavily. And then the money that they taxed them on wasn't being, you know, put back into Jewish society. It wasn't going back into making roads better, making streets better, building better walls, whatever. It was going back to Rome to help the wealthiest of Romans become even more wealthy. And so they're under, I mean, they're just under a lot of oppression here. And so these guys, these scribes, we see they were also about outward experiences, I mean, everything they did, they did for show. And Jesus talks about this. And, you know, Jesus says, he says, they brought in their phylacteries. Now, back in the time of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders, they wore these boxes either on their arms or on their their foreheads. They were called phylacteries. And they they contained tiny little scrolls. And on these scrolls contained the the law on them. And it was kind of their way of, of making a, you know, a statement that the law was part of their lives. Jesus says, look, I want you to look at these guys for a moment. I mean, they've actually, you know, they made their boxes bigger. They, they put their boxes on their forehead. They put them on their arms. And they've, they've made them bigger so that people would think that they're ultra spiritual. It'd be kind of like us walking around the mall, right, with like a, a huge family Bible under our arm or like a, a giant cross like that size kind of like wrapped around our necks to, you know, so that people would look at us and go, man, that person is really, really spiritual, And Jesus says they also enlarged the borders of their garments. Now see, back then God had asked the Jewish people to have tassels and borders on their garments in order to distinguish themselves from other nations. And so he wanted to to make the Jewish nation, he wanted to make them pure. And so he said, listen, I want you to be able to identify yourselves when you see each other. And so, you you know, you'll see these borders on the garments and there'll be, you know, people who are wearing tassels. And so the Pharisees and scribes, what they did was they actually made their borders on their garments larger. They made their tassels longer so they would stand out to be more holy than everyone else. Then Jesus says that they prided themselves in their position. They expected favorable treatment. 
I mean, these guys, they expected first-class treatment, right? They expected to have the best seat in the synagogue. They expected to be the guest of honor at all the, the Jewish feasts. Now, I think we need to understand, Jesus doesn't condemn sitting in first class. He doesn't condemn being a guest of honor. But he says, these guys, these, these Pharisees and these scribes, I mean, they lived for it. They loved it. I mean, when they would enter into a marketplace, oftentimes they would have somebody who would walk in front of them and they'd make this, you know, grand announcement. They'd say something like, you know, make way for a Pharisee is coming into the marketplace. And what would happen is people would then have to to part ways so that the Pharisee could walk through. Why? Because the Pharisees wanted people to think that they were a big deal. They also demanded, Jesus says, to be called rabbi or master because these guys were really into titles, And so Jesus rebukes them basically because they assumed the title that they didn't deserve. They wanted the recognition that they hadn't earned. And so their motives for for everything that they were doing was wrong. They'd made worshiping God all about them. And when you read this, I think this is a great warning for all of us, especially those of us that serve in any kind of ministry capacity, whether it's paid or, or whether it's volunteer, but that God has no tolerance for people that serve in the ministry position for personal gain or to be recognized or to somehow or another make a name for yourself, right? God can't stomach people who live one day on Sunday morning and purposely choose to live a completely different lifestyle the rest of the week. He has no honor, he has no favor for the hypocritical Christian, for the poser of the world who does not practice what they preach. I mean, that's what this whole passage is all about. I mean, imagine for a second Right, Just you know, seeking praise and glory for yourself while trying to, to lead people to a savior who describes himself as a man of no reputation, right? man who made no reputation for himself, a man who took on the form of a servant, a man who's described in scripture as meek and lonely. See, that kind of attitude just doesn't cut it in God's kingdom. Jesus says hypocrisy, you know, seeking position, seeking titles, posturing, seeking glory and honor for yourself are foreign attitudes in God's economy. And Jesus here lays out a very strong caution for his followers. He says, listen, don't be like these people. He says, don't copy them in any way, shape, or form. Instead, listen to this verse in verse 11. Jesus says this, the greatest among you shall be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, when I read this, I mean, Jesus, he's pulling no punches here, right? I mean, think about this. He's got less than three days to live. He's got to get some things off of his chest. If you had three days to live, you're probably going to say some things that are probably most important to you, right? You're not caring what other people are thinking at the moment. You're not caring about offending people. You're not caring about what other people will think. And so Jesus, I mean, he's just laying it out. I mean, Jesus never really struggled with laying it out, but I'm telling you, at this moment, he's saying, you know, what he wants his followers and he wants his disciples to hear, I mean, you would probably only focus on things at this moment of your life, you know, you had three days to live, that you'd want your closest friends and your, your, your family members to hear as being very, very important. And so with that said, I think it's kind of like, you know, gut check time. Because I'll be honest, I mean, after reading, you know, Matthew 23 this week, I had a moment this past week where I just kind of, you know, pushed myself away from my keyboard and I just said, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. I mean, let's go into some of the unevangelized areas of my heart for just a moment. I mean, what's the, what's the motive of God behind what I do? You know, does the, 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 the title of, you know, pastor of Source Church mean more than it should to me? Do I strive for attention? And, you know, most of all, God, do I practice what I preach? And I would ask you the same question this morning. 
You know, some of you might go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a preacher. Well, sure you are, right? Because your words preach, right? Your, your actions preach. See, to preach means to be an advocate of something. It means to be an activist. It means to be a campaigner. Listen, we're all preachers. I mean, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ to be your savior and then you were baptized, you made a public declaration of that faith, that you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and you are a a disciple and as a professed disciple and as a follower of Jesus, the question that all of us have to ask ourselves this morning is do you practice what you preach? You know, tomorrow morning at work, tomorrow morning at, at school maybe with your friends, Will your actions and will your words line up with your claim to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? And if not, then are we any different than the religious people of Jesus' day, these people that that, that claimed one thing but did something completely different? Now, as we get into this next part here of Scripture, Jesus takes it to a whole nother level, right? He starts throwing down some, some woes on the Pharisees. And some of you might be going, what in the world is a woe? A woe is kind of how you start a statement that brings great sorrow and just great distress upon you. You know, if you want to say something to your kids or say something to someone else that's just really causing you stress, you just start off by saying woe, right? Woe to you, whatever. You know, you can use that today. Just throw it out there this afternoon, whatever. Use woes all over the place. But oftentimes when we read what I'm about to read, we think that Jesus is really ticked off. I think that there is definitely some righteous anger in his words, but more than anything, when you listen to what I'm about to read, it's out of a deep sense of sorrow. Jesus begins to throw out these woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Now, I want you to just kind of zone in with, with me here for just a moment, because we're about to read more scripture than I normally read to you on a Sunday morning. And so let's really kind of pay attention, because I think there's some very strong words and some very applicable, uh, applicable words for us today. So pick it up here, Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let in those who wish to enter. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes it sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes it sacred? So then he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and then by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay tithes of mint, dill, and cumin, but you have disregarded the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You're blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish so that the outside may be clean as well. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, he says, are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. 
In the same way, on the outside you appear to be righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your fathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. He says, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Because of this, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and others you will flog in your synagogues and persecute in town after town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, all these things will come upon this generation. We listen to that and say, whoa, right? I mean, these are probably the strongest words that we hear Jesus speak in the Bible. I mean, he is, he is throwing down some very heavy truths here. And so what, what big truths do we learn from kind of like the seven woes that we just went over? And first of all is this, is that religion, rules, and morality do not save anyone. They may actually be sending someone to hell. As I mentioned earlier, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were kind of like the poster boys of religion, right? We've said that, that religion is man's attempt to get to God. I mean, these guys were like the stage actors of morality. However, none of these things brought these men salvation, None of these things brought these men to forgiveness or to redemption or to reconciliation with God. Why? Because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, salvation was standing right in front of them and they said no to him. Not only does Jesus say that they shut the kingdom of heaven for themselves, but they shut, in, you know, they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And so in other words, their focus on rules and religion were not just sending themselves to hell, but they were sending others to hell as well. I mean, think for just a moment. I mean, every, every denomination, every religion, every church that tries to add works to God's free gift of salvation through faith in Christ alone, they're like the Pharisees of our day, right? They shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. See, we all need to understand this morning is that salvation is a free gift. It cannot be earned. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul says it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not, not by works. So that no one can boast. You know, I think of all the bad salvation appeals that I've heard from from different various pastors over the years, right? Men who have stood up and said, look, you've got to stop doing this or you've got to stop doing that or you've got to clean yourself up before you can receive God's free gift of salvation. And when you hear that, listen, that's works, right? That's works. I mean, where does the power to, to overcome sin come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit, when do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? We receive the power of the Holy Spirit at the very moment of salvation. And so how can you stop doing something if the power of the Holy Spirit does not yet live inside of you? Right? You can't clean something up without the power of the Holy Spirit, and it comes at salvation. See, the Bible says that God sees our works. He sees our attempts to receive salvation, the Bible says, is nothing more than filthy rags. They're unacceptable. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross so that we might have forgiveness and have reconciliation with God. And the only way for us to have that is by asking for forgiveness and putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone to save us. In Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul, the, the church, they sent out a plea to Paul. 
So you got, you know, at the church in Antioch, they say, listen, we've got problems here. They, what was going on? The Jews were asking the Gentiles to be circumcised before they could become Christians. And the Apostle Paul, he addressed them in Acts chapter 15, and here's what he said. He said, we should not cause trouble for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You know, I wonder sometimes if we make it difficult for people that want to come to Christ by saying, look, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing that. You've got to clean yourself up. You've got to follow this rule or that rule. Listen, salvation is a free gift given to us by grace and received through faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Number two, God isn't interested in our actions if our hearts are cold to him and cold to others. Right, Jesus says to, this religious leader, to these religious leaders, he says, look, here's what you do. You tithe a, a tenth of your resources. And he says to them, you should continue to do that. He says, but you reject the more important things. Right, you're focusing on the, on the small things, and yet you're neglecting the weightier things. In other words, he says, you're just going through the motions. You're, just, you know, you're keeping the rules, but your hearts, he says, are cold to me. And just equally important is that they're cold to others. He says, you deny justice, you deny mercy, you deny faithfulness. Jesus says, look, it's like you're straining out you know, your water to get all the gnats out, but without realizing it, he says, you're swallowing a camel. Listen, God doesn't want our sacrifices. God doesn't, doesn't want our worship if our hearts are cold to him and we are constantly in conflict with others. Jesus tells us, I mean, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says, look, if you come to the altar to sacrifice something to him, and we realize that our brother has something against us, that what we need to do is we need to go fix that first and then come back to worship. Why does he say that? We'll go back to last week's message, right? Because he said the most important two jobs of a Christ follower is to love God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as much as you love yourself. Number three, outward appearances mean nothing to God when our focus is wrong and our hearts are dirty. And maybe the strongest words we hear Jesus speak in the Bible, he calls these men blind guides, right? He calls them hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them servants. And he said, you know, their whole focus is on the outward appearance. I mean, on the outside, everything appears to be clean, right? Everything appears to be pristine and beautiful. But on the inside, he said, listen, you are dirty. You are unclean. It says it's like you're full of dead man's bones. I mean, you wash the outside of the cup, Jesus says, but inside the cup, everything is dirty, full of mold and mildew. I read this story about this old cowboy who decided to go to church. This old cowboy shows up to this big, beautiful, giant church on a Sunday morning, and he, he enters the church before services begin, and he's got on these tattered jeans, and he's got you know, his denim shirt on, his, his cowboy boots, which are all worn and, and ragged and in his one hand, he carried his cowboy hat, and in his other hand, he carried his old, rugged, torn-up Bible. And the church he entered, I mean, again, it was, it was pristine. It's in a very wealthy, exclusive part of the city. It was the largest, most beautiful church this old cowboy had ever seen. People in the congregation, he walked in, I mean, they were all dressed to the nine, dressed in very expensive clothing, and all the accessories to go along with it. So the cowboy sits in, he takes a seat. Immediately, as soon as he takes a seat, people start moving away from him. No one greeted him. No one spoke to him. 
No one welcomed him. In fact, they were appalled at this man. I mean, how could he walk into our church with this kind of appearance, not even attempting to hide it? And so the preacher got up and he gave this long sermon, right, about hell, fire, and brimstone. He talked about how much money the church needed to do God's work. And as the cowboy was leaving, right, the, the preacher went and he came down the steps of, from where he was at. And he made a beeline for this man. And he approached him. He said, listen, sir. He said, before you come back here, will you do me a favor? And the cowboy said, all right, well, what's on your mind? He says, I want you to have a talk with God. And I want you to ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for you to worship in this congregation. So the next morning, the cowboy comes back. He shows up again, wearing the same ragged jeans, same denim shirt. He's got on the same boots, right? Same cowboy hat on his arm, same, same Bible under the other arm. And once again, he's completely shunned. Completely ignored. The pastor, again, after the, the service, makes a beeline for him. He goes right up to him and he says, Sir, look, I, I, listen, I, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to our church. And the cowboy said, Well, I did. Well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you about what should be the proper attire for, for worshiping in this church? And the guy said, Sir, God told me he didn't have any clue what I should wear because he's never been in this church before. <laughs> See, God's not into outside appearances. When our hearts are focused on the wrong stuff. Number four, a life lived to honor God requires us to be humble and selfless. All throughout the Bible, we see Jesus is described as humble. He's described as meek, as lowly, as a servant. He's described as selfless. And the Bible also calls us, as followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible calls us to be imitators of Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, in other words, Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell. He died to save us from ourselves. Right? Jesus didn't just die to provide forgiveness of sin. He died so that we would stop living for ourselves. And so this implies that we needed a rescue. Well, what did we need a rescue from? We needed a rescue from ourselves, right? We needed a rescue from us. I mean, I needed a rescue from me. Some of you might be here and you're thinking, well, you know, Rick, I'm not selfish. I'm never self-centered. Well, I'm grateful for you because sometimes I have to admit that I am. I was reading a blog post, so I was getting ready for this message about six types of selfishness. And what I want to do is I want to read them to you. And as I am reading them to you, I want you to evaluate yourself for a moment. And I want you just to see if you can relate to any of these kinds of of self. And first of all is this, self-focus. Focused on self-focus, you say, you know, I start to lose interest in a conversation that is not about me or a story that I'm not telling. Now, some of y'all blame that on ADD. No, (laughs) some of you are just self-focused. How about self-glorification? Right, you know, I do what I do to make a name for myself. I do what I do to get noticed. I do what I do to get recognition or to to be seen by someone important. Then there's self-obsession where my internal dialogue is all about me right? How do I look? How do I feel? What should I do? Why didn't so-and-so acknowledge me? Fourth one is self-rule, where it's me determining the rules of my life, silently or not so silently, demanding that others keep my commandments. Then we've got number five, self-righteousness, not thinking that I'm better than others in the traditional sense of the term, but looking down on my nose at people who don't realize that they're bad like me. And then there's self-reliance, living as if I don't need divine intervention, right? No divine intervention needed through life, which especially manifests itself in in pockets of prayerlessness. 
Now, that's a strong list, right? I'll be the first to admit that I'm guilty of a few of those. But I'm thankful that Jesus died to rescue me from me. See, when I'm guilty of any of these, I can go to him and I can ask for forgiveness. These things can be made right. I can get my focus back to where it needs to be. See, when we live a life of full of humility and selflessness, not only does it bring honor to God, but it helps us to be the real deal in this life, to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. And so as we close this morning, I want to give you a couple of questions. I'm going to give you a couple of questions that I want you to think on this morning. So as a church, as a people that go to this church, as people that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, are we making it hard for people who are far away from God to place their faith in him? From the parking lot to the doors to the seats. Listen, every Sunday we have guests in here. People who are far away from God. People who have never received salvation before. Are we making it hard because of our attitude? Are we making it hard because of the way that we act? Or maybe, you know, the way that we neglect people. We just kind of focus in on ourselves. Are we making it hard for people to come to Christ? For people to, to place their faith and their trust in him? Then another question is, are we trusting in anything other than Jesus to make ourselves acceptable to God? There's a list of do's and don'ts, rules, uh, you know, whatever it is. Are we trusting in anything other than Jesus to make ourselves acceptable to him? Because, see, it's only through Jesus that we are made righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can stand in front of God as acceptable. And then this is a big one. Do we take part in religious, churchy things only to be seen by others? Or are we truly living lives that honor and please God out of our love for him. I mean, is, is it the goal of our lives? Is it the, the, you know, the goal of our lives to know Christ and to make him known? Is the goal of our lives to glorify him with everything that we do? Or we may be guilty of some of these things that I just talked about a moment ago. Self-focus, self-glorification, self-obsession, self-rule, self-righteousness, self-reliance. You know, I think we're probably all guilty of at least one of those. I think if we were going to be honest this morning, and let's be honest, there's probably a little bit of Pharisee inside of all of us. There's probably a little bit of scribe inside all of us. And so this morning, I want to ask that you would ask God, that you would be humble enough this morning to ask God to get into the unevangelized areas of your heart. And at this moment, ask God to come in and say, you know what, God, I need to do a little self-cleaning. I need to do a little cleaning right now. Say, Lord, you know what, go into every area of my life, every little bit of self inside, Lord, that I might be holding back, that, God, I feel like I have a right to when actually you don't. Say, Lord, would you do a little cleaning? Because I'm coming to you right now, God, with a heart of repentance. You know, church, let us make a commitment this morning with all of our heart to follow the example of the Apostle Paul who in Philippians 3.10, he says this, he says, the goal of my life is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to fellowship in his suffering even to the point of death. You know, let's make it the goal of our life to know Jesus more intimately and to allow us to be used to lead others to him. Just to bow our heads for just a moment. You know, it's time, a little, time for a little self-cleaning this morning. Time for maybe a little bit of self-examination. 
It's so easy for us in this room. I mean, I know so many of us struggle with things that we just talked about a moment ago. Things like self-focus, things like self-glorification, self-obsession, self-rule, self-righteousness, even self-reliance. We make it about us. We make it about ourselves instead of making it about Christ. But as we said a moment ago, God is faithful. As a Christ follower, we can come to him, you know, even when we've messed up. And we can go back to Christ and we've got this thing called repentance. It's an amazing gift. We can bring our selfishness to him. We can confess it. We can repent it. And we can be made right with him again. And so this morning, just ask, I just want to ask you, you know, just do a little self-evaluation this morning. How is your life? Do you need a little self-cleaning this morning? Now, there might be some of you in here that don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made that decision before. And you came in here today not knowing him, but you've heard God's word this morning. You felt the, you know, something stirring in you. That is the Holy Spirit. And all I would say to you this morning is don't ignore him. You've come in this morning, you say, you know what, I've heard God's word. I've been living for myself. It hasn't been working for me, but I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I know I need a savior. If you're here this morning, you say, well, how do I do that? You just pray something like this in your heart. You say, God, I just come before you. God, I know that I am separated from you. God, I know that I've been living for myself, living selfishly. Ruling myself, self-rule, making my own rules, living my own way, not needing your intervention in my life. But God, I want all of that to change right now, and I repent of that. God, I confess it before you. I believe that, that Jesus came to do for me what I could never do on my own, that he went to that cross, and he paid the sin, paid for the sin, paid the penalty for my sin that I deserve to pay. But instead, he went to the cross for me. And right now, at this very moment, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my Savior. With all eyes closed and all heads still bowed, I'd ask that if you just made that commitment today, man, we want to celebrate with you. It's the best decision you've ever made. Just take a connection card that's around you in the, in the, in the aisle there with you and just check off. You know what? Today, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because we want to come alongside of you I want to walk you through the next steps of becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Again, this is nothing you can do on your own. It's not by works. It's by grace and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Again, Father, for the rest of us, our prayer is that as we leave this place, that, Father, we would go from saying things and doing things differently than what we preach to practicing what we preach, Father, relying completely on you. So God, we give this time that we've had together up to you, Father. It's for your honor, God, and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray.